Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Hey y'all, on this episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names, the guys put on their thinking caps as they review Feast for Odin and Great Western Trail. Plus, in a special interview, they get a behind-the-scenes look at Fun Again Games. Y'all are going to need a bigger cap. Hey guys, and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 106, Beast of Burden. We are a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and I am Tony. And this is Marty, and is that our first Rolling Stones song? Oh, I don't know. I could go look over the list, but that would be wasting time, dude. Let's just go with it, and hopefully I didn't repeat. But I mean, I think it's a very appropriate song for this one. Why so? Well, first off, it rhymes with one of the games we're going to be talking about, A Feast for Odin, and it was a beast, but we won't spoil more. More than that. And of course, you know, we also talk about Great Western Trail and, you know, cows are nothing more than beasts of burden. <laughs> um, touche. Well played. Well Thank played. You. Except for, isn't it a beast of burden? Is that a mule? Who is it a camel? What is the beast of burden? I don't know. I feel like after playing these games, I felt like I was. <laughs> Sorry, wow, also. dude. Jeez. <laughs> oh, goodness. But anyway, we just are barely have woken up from our adventures at, at the local con, Mace. And I apologize to Ron for saying Mace East. I forgot. I mean, he has Mace West, right, Ashwell? He does. And he used to have Mace East, which used to be out towards the beach. I think it was at Wilmington for one or two years. But this is the main Mace. Yeah, this is Mace. So I was thinking, okay, there's Mace West. Well, this should be Mace East. Right in the center center of the uh, Carolinas. Yeah, that makes total sense yeah i know but we were there bright and by the way i like how that is what time do you want me to pick you up seven o'clock and what was that text back uh seven fifteen maybe <laughs> i know it was only 15 minutes but i really needed those 15 minutes well you were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for almost my gosh 18 hours of convention yes yes we got to the convention what about eight or so we went and grabbed a little bite to eat at chick-fil-a and then we got set up and ready to go at nine o'clock and we didn't leave there until 1 30 in the morning that was ridiculous holy cow and i mean but lots of the, fun yeah it was it was loads of fun i mean it, we did take an hour and a half for um mexican over at zapatas we hate that a few people weren't able to make it but i mean a lot of people were there draft mechanic was there jake uh and his lovely bride danielle were there we had Epic Gaming Podcast was there. Tantrum House was there. And, you know, I, I I went by. They had these cute stickers, and I picked one up. Board Gaming on Board. You know those Baby on Board stickers? Yes. They have Board Gamer on Board stickers, and I bought one for my car. Oh, nice. Very cool. And it was really cool that uh, we got to, when we took the hour and a half uh, lunch, our, our dinner, we got to eat with Richard Lonius, which is always a lot of fun. That guy is so full of energy, and this guy has the best stories ever. Oh, yeah. He does, except he was in a down mood because his football team lost. And I know you are uh, uh, somewhat of a hater, but that's no, okay. We'll I'm, just not, leave I'm not a hater. I did not like the way the fans treated us when we lost to Clemson. Okay. Well, they treated me well. I was down there. They shook my hand, said, great game, man. That was all Well, that. of course they did because we flubbed up on a lot. Okay, never mind. Okay, I'm done. Enough, right. enough about sports. But anyway, it was really cool to listen to Richard talk about everything that he's doing with FFG, with all the Arkham series, and he's playtesting future Mansions of Madness second editions, and he's telling us, you guys wait, some really cool stuff is coming, so I can't wait to see what's coming out from Mansions of Madness. Yeah, and I like his story about how, you know, the second edition evolved and where he felt it was, you know, how he was always wanting it to get to that point of being a co-op type game, and that was kind of neat to hear that that's, you know, it's been in a long world. Yeah. And so it's finally to that point and, and he really likes it. So that was always a pleasure. But the first thing we did at this con was the same thing I've done at my four previous cons, which was what? Play an incredible, awesome, tremendous game of strike. Well, it was a game of strike. And it was epic. I mean, it seemed like every time, I, sometimes when you play that game, no one has to roll all their dice, but it was constantly being done there. People were matching and pulling out and the arena was empty and you were having to put your dice back in there. And of course, you know, well, I didn't win. You didn't win. I liked your strategy though. Only throw one die. See if you could outlast somebody. That was my goal. Yes, it was. But uh, the guy who did win, it's like the guy couldn't miss. I remember one time the, the bowl was empty and when that happens, you have to roll all of your dice. 
he rolled like six dice and got to pick like four or five of them right back up. The arena was empty, not the bowl. We've gone over this time and time again. <laughs> okay. Have we spent enough time on this game? <laughs> yes, we have. And then I, as an Envoy member, which I know um, some people don't know what that is. Envoy is a group that is put together to demo games and it's a pretty large group um i know stronghold is part of it portal is part of it usaopoly is part of it i was given the opportunity to do the envoy splash on saturday at May's for harry potter hogwarts battle which is the usaopoly uh, deck building game based on what else? Harry Potter and the various books of Harry Potter. And that was a five hour event from nine to one. And um, you got to play that game with me while I was demoing it. Yes, I did. I got to play a couple games. I liked, really liked the way you did it. The, the book one is kind of like the intro version. And then you add in additional decks from the future books, which makes it a little bit harder. Uh, we did jump around a bit because we wanted to see you know, what the game was all about. And I remember, I think you jumped us straight to book four, I believe. Yeah, we played book one. And then we just basically said, well, let's get in the new mechanic of book four and we won't spoil what that is. But um, we were because we were having some questions about it. I mean, because I always said book one is bef- by far the easiest thing that there is in that game. And so advanced gamers should just immediately jump and do books one, two and three. Now, we, there's been a lot of good press about that. You've got to admit the components and the artwork, how you open the box and it looks like Harry Potter's chest. And there's the board that's got the print of his chest on it. That was really neat. Really nice. Head. Not Harry Potter's actual physical chest. No, that would be wild, wouldn't it? See his no, heart? that would be weird. Yeah, no. Oh, no. cool. No, I like a wooden chest. Yeah, a trunk. His trunk. There we go. There you go. And I mean, the components are really, I mean, they've got some cheap tokens in there as well. And and the cards were decent, but I really did like the metal skulls for the locations and things like that. But overall, as a deck builder and having demoed it for five hours and having played it a couple of times and all, guys, this is at best an intro deck builder, in my opinion. It, It will it will teach people the mechanics of deck building. There's some flaws with it. Don't get me wrong. And Marty, you pointed out a few of them. Well, the one main one is, is Tony, you and I searched for it. We couldn't find it. We could not find a way to call the deck. And when I, what we mean by call the deck is like with most deck building games, you have these starter cards. Well, eventually you want those cards out of your deck because they just aren't as valuable anymore and they just choke up your, your deck. So lots of games have mechanisms to get rid of those. And we couldn't find it. And Tony, I believe you actually going through the books because as you open books, you add those cards into the deck. And there's a market like most games where you can buy from the market and put them in your deck. And we didn't find any any of those how to get rid of useless cards. I know. And, and that to me in a deck builder is essential. You have to have that so that you can at least move through the decks a lot quicker and there's more strategy in it. And the only other big one, and we'll finish up with this, is in this game, as you combine the books you're not really modifying much of the game other than adding more villains to it that you have to defeat. You're not, and you're combining all the cards together so that when you're drafting these cards or buying these cards, you may see some from uh, a previous, uh, previous book, like book one, book two, that aren't as powerful and then eventually get to a book four. So I think if I were to keep playing this or introducing it out i would begin to house rule a lot of those things where you wouldn't add certain ones because you know it would get old by book seven you're beating if all you're going to do is combine all the villains and you're having to beat all the villains from the all the books of harry potter it doesn't bring it to me no and i was uh telling people the 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 game seemed to have a a mixed bag of emotions once people played it uh there was some you know hardcore gamers it's like yeah it's just not my game those who are fans of Harry Potter really, really enjoyed it. And I think that's what it comes down to. If you had to strip the theme off of this game and it was just a generic game without the Harry Potter theme, it wouldn't get much much of a look because it's really basic and generic. But if you are a Harry Potter fan or you have kids who are Harry Potter fans and maybe they don't know a lot about deck building games, do go check this out. But if you are a serious gamer looking for an in-depth deck building game, there are better ones out there on the market. Easily. Now... Once again, we got to play a classic Thunder Road, hit the table numerous times, and we had a blast with that. That game should not be as fun as it is, but man, that game is fun. And I'll admit, I 
changed some of the rules around to help speed us up a few times. But, you know, when we get, if we get it back on the table, we'll play by the pure classic rules. But I mean, it's just, it's just lighthearted Ameritrash fun. And I'm, I mean, we played it four or five times yesterday for people would come, what is that? Oh my God, that's classic. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And they said, well, we got to play. Yeah. Except for the one guy that we played and he looked at the year it was published and went, Hey, this game is like as old as I am. Yeah. Whatever. Shut up. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, we were just, we were still in college, but that's okay. So anyway, Thunder Road hit the table a couple of times, and I'm so glad we were able to play that. But more importantly, when we were at Mace, let's talk about some of the new games we got to play, Marty. Oh, I know. Two of the biggest Euros that just came out from Essen, Feast for Odin from Z-Man Games, and then we just got uh, sent to us from Stronghold Games, Great Western Trail, which is a game, Tony, you and I have been looking forward to since this past spring when it was announced because we like Euro games and we haven't seen a good Western-themed Euro game, so we're excited to try this out. You're right, Marty. We were excited for both of these games. I can't wait to really get to talk about them because one, for me, didn't do it. One did. I'm ready to really, let's, let's, let's talk about this for about five minutes each. What do you think? Two five-minute initiatives coming up. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. The latest game from Uwe Rosenberg is a beast of a game called Feast for Odin from Z-Man Games. This is a two-to-four player game. It takes anywhere from two to three hours. And this game is based on where you're taking your Vikings and you're trying to go out and collect resources. And it kind of looks like a very heavy version of patchwork and what i mean is tony everybody has their little player boards in front of them and they have this huge uncovered spaces which is just a bunch of grids and over the course of the game you're trying to accumulate different sizes and shapes of resources to fill up spaces on those grids ultimately trying to cover negative one victory point spaces in a way to generate victory points Right. And along with that, on those grids, you can also leave stuff uncovered that have special icons that will generate resources for you, such as wood and stone and those things. But you've got to surround it. Also, to generate the income, you have to build a certain way on these boards so that you can get money as at the end of one of the income phases. But you can also explore and pick up other boards that have these grids that can also generate resources as long as you cover it up using these special grids. And the grids can go from one by twos to uh, four by fours they can be odd shapes marty's we've got hammers we've got crowns we've got all this kind of stuff but you're right i mean that's really at the nut at the core thank you at the core of this game (laughs) is nothing more than collecting little pieces of cardboard to put on your board to try to gain the victory points and the victory points imagine that are are how you win it and that can be as as simple as what's left on your board not uncovered as well as points for ships points for cows points for sheeps that's where you get your victory points. Yeah, and the whole core mechanic of the game is it's a worker placement game. And there are a lot of places on this board that you can put your workers, and they do all sorts of various things from upgrading your pieces because over the course of the game, just like a lot of UA games, you got to feed your people. And each time you're going to have a Viking that comes down that gives you additional Viking per turn, but it unlocks a space that needs to be covered up at the end because they need to be fed. So there's a little grid you got to fill up using either the lower level places, uh, which are colored all orange and red but on the places where you're coming up a negative victory points you actually use green and blue pieces but then there's a way they have to be set there tony the greens can't go exactly beside each other they have to go diagonal but the blues can go any way you want so the blues are really valuable so a lot of it is about getting these pieces and upgrading them to their highest value to make it easier to place onto your board and that could be done lots of different ways as you said you might go out and go trading and trade in pieces or you might go hunting or pillaging to get all these different resources but the ultimate goal is Cover up your board. That's it. I mean, it is patchwork with a bunch of actions done by a bunch of workers. And Marty, let's just cut to the chase here. You got to try this game to decide if you like it. Now, for me, I do like one thing about this game. I like the fact that on this board, that if someone takes a spot you need, that spot may be available, but you may have to pay more workers. There's also all these cards in the game that are occupations, and there's hunting cards that help you when you roll the dice, because there's dice in this game. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. But either way, for me, the game just didn't gel. I've played it three times, and I still don't understand how to make my Tetris pieces 
work. I just don't have that skill set. So I don't know about you. Did you like that part of it? I really, really thought I would because I enjoy patchwork, but I too was stuck with, all right, I'm, my whole goal is here just to try to fit these pieces on this board and try to, to maximize the, the pieces that I have to, uh, to, to cover up as many spaces I had to, so I can have victory points at the end. So at the beginning of the game, you're staring with a ton of negative victory points that you're trying to get rid of and what's the best way to do it. There's some things that didn't even almost seem to fit. It's like, we need to feed our guys every round. But Tony, I never felt like it was really tough to feed no. because every so many rounds and you play either six or seven rounds, you automatically get food that you could easily feed your guys with. I, I agree with you. The food part of it was a way to eliminate some tiles from the game and forcing you to use certain actions on it. So once again, I'm not really sure what the whole purpose of that was. And then the other boards, I never felt like I needed to go get those boards. I know I am missing something. Don't get me wrong, people. This is probably a very good game for everybody to try and play. But for me, uh, no, nah, it's a miss with me. I, I'm sorry to say. How about you? We played with several different people, and we had people that really liked it. We had one person thought it was okay, and we had one person that did not like it at all. And Tony, I'm kind of with you. I like a lot of other Rosenberg games, but for me, I really don't need this on my shelf. If somebody says they want to play, I may sit down and play it, but I don't need it. And in fact, it just made me want to go back and play other games like Caverna and Fields of Y'all. Five-minute initiative is complete. Hey guys, I don't know if you're aware of this, but over at the Broken Token, you can purchase for that gamer friend of yours with the holiday season coming up, gift certificates, especially e-versions or email versions where you get a code. However, it's down in the pages a little bit, so in order to find those, be sure to go to the gift certificate area of the Broken Token website, and down at the bottom, there is a link for the e-certificate. If you've got that gamer in your life that needs a new Broken Token organizer, but you don't want don't know what to get them, why not an e-certificate? Go to thebrokentoken.com. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. All right, Great Western Trail, people, by Alexander Pfister, published by Stronghold Games. And here's what we got from Alexander in the past. Oh, my goods, Isle of Skies, Mombasa, Broom Service, just a whole bunch of stuff. The man's being a rock star, Marty, but... Hey, this is a theme you and I can get into. Oh, yeah. We're playing a Euro that's not based in like the Middle Ages where we're trying to grow things or build things. Instead, we are cowboys trying to rustle up some cattle and get them out to Kansas City so we can put them on trains to ship them to other cities. And what's so cool about this game is you're on that Great Western Trail, Tony. On your turn, you get to move so many spaces along that trail. And that t trail consists of hazards and of towns and little buildings that you can land on. And when you do, you can do actions on them. And this is where the whole mechanic of the game is, right, Tony? I mean, the whole idea is uh, your cattle is basically cards. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a deck building mechanism because you start out with starter level cards, which are your really low valued cattle. But over the course of the game, you try to get higher valued cattle so that once you get to Kansas City, you can sell them for more money and get more victory points. Right. So you're rounding up cattle. That's one of the big things. Number two is you're trying to put buildings out your own buildings there's neutral buildings that anybody can use but you also have your own buildings that each player has that you're trying to put on the board and you put them out there and they'll give you actions i mean actions as simple as removing a hazard or if you discard so many cows you get money because that's really what it is it's how do you generate that money how do you get there so you got a deck building mechanism and you've got a player board and on that player board there are discs that are covering up some of the actions so when you make it to the kansas city and you have to ship the cows off to the slaughterhouses Guess what, guys? You can now remove a disc and you open up another capability that you can use in the game, such as culling your deck. Yay, culling your deck. That's what we need because you don't need those jerseys in there because they're not worth much. What you need is those Texas Longhorns. So, Marty, I mean, walking along, we got deck building. That's cool. I 
you know, we love our deck builders. Yeah, and I love the mechanism, which is the scythe and the terramistica type thing where you have places on your board that are covered up. And by removing whatever places there gives you additional abilities and putting it somewhere on the board opens up other things. Because when you place those discs on the board, sometimes if you put your disc beside uh, two adjacent spots where you deliver to two different cities, it actually gives you victory points. But the thing is, though, the farther away uh, the city is from Kansas City on this track, the more expensive it is to ship. So there's that management. I got to get the money to make sure that I can ship. I got to make sure I have the high cost cows that would give me the most money to make them ship the furthest. There's all these little mechanics that are going on during the course of the game that I just really enjoyed. And the theme seemed to work. The idea is you have to get uh, more cowboys, which allows you to get more cattle and bigger cattle. You have to get hire more engineers, which allows you to take your train further down the tracks. And you have to hire craftsmen, more craftsmen, so you can build the nice, bigger private buildings that does higher level things for you than your lower level buildings. It's just all encompassed into a nice little package. Yeah, and moving the train is one of those things where you have to you bypass the transport costs when you go out there and place your disc that gives you either victory points at the end or better yet you may upgrade a station that gives you a little victory points here or there or special abilities there's all these little things going on with this game that you know you've really got to watch but unlike one that we just mentioned i mean it, it sort of kind of came together for me marty i was really understanding it now i admit i didn't play it well but that was my first time playing and i didn't get to see how everything clicked together so i can't wait to play it again oh yeah definitely but it's the deck building thing that i really love The idea is when you get to Kansas City, whatever cards are in your hand, that's the cattle you have to sell. But if you have matching cattle, you can't sell them both. You only sell the highest valued one. So the goal is, is when you get to the uh, Kansas City, you're either going to have a hand of four or five or six, depending on how many of those deck size hands you've unlocked. Each unique one will be added up, and that's the amount of money that you get. So over the course of the game, you're trying to get rid of the low stuff out of your hand and draw into the higher uh, cattle that you've bought so that you can sell them at the right time for the most money. For me, is this game one that I put on my shelves? I would love to, but I don't think my wife or anybody that I play normally with would be willing to do it. I'm so glad that you have it because I will be happy to play this any time with you because it is one of those games that, you know, just really resonates with me. This is a game that will stay on my shelf. I love the Euro theme. I think everything fits and flows well together. It's one of those that just clicked for me. Can't wait to play it again. Great Western Trail. Great job, Alexander. Five-minute initiative is complete. Guys, have you ever wondered what goes into getting you games? Well, Marty and I often do, and we often question why they can't be sitting on our door with a drone delivering them that day. Well, we have Nick coming on to the show from Fun Again Games to tell us all about that. Now, Marty, do you have any questions lined up for him about this? I do, because I'm really curious about this process they do, especially each year at Essen, where they have this huge pre-order and actually go over to Germany, get all these games, and then ship them back to be shipped to gamers here and to BGGCon. So I'm really curious about the logistics of how all that works. We'll talk to Nick all about that here in a minute when he finally gets puts the moon pie down and walks into the studio finally marty we were able to convince nick mettinger nick is the chief operating officer at fun again games or funagain.com people that's right use rdtn as the affiliate code i'm gonna go ahead and get the shot in now marty but he is on marty and he is going to tell us all about Essence, since you and I may never get there. Now, wait a minute. You come on here and you say that after all this begging to get Nick on, this is the first time we've ever asked Nick. So don't make it sound like that we've asked Nick and he kept just blowing us off. That's not the Nick style. No, that's not the Nick style, but he is here. So Nick, at least say hello to the people so we can stop talking. Hi, everybody. Hi, Tony. Hi, Marty. How are you guys today? Oh, I'm doing great, except Tony's making you look like a bad guy. (laughs) He's he's not a bad guy. He's an incredible guy. We we had to convince him. I mean, you know, and probably one no, of those shipping. You did. He, well, to be fair, he did. He had to ask me one time, and I said, "That sounds great." <laughs> when <laughs> when can you? When can we record? My schedule's pretty open. Yeah. So much for all that convincing. Oh, I know. I didn't. I didn't see. I thought you were going to get him a shipping container of moon pies or something <laughs> to get it over there. I don't know what was going on. I could make that happen. So I I know <laughs> enough people that that can happen. Hey guys, what you don't understand is Nick and I were sitting here while Marty was getting his equipment set up, and he was telling me all about internet 
international shipping and the, and the stuff that goes in behind that. And I could lose half of you if we talked about it again. But it's amazing what they have to go through in order to get the games here, Marty. It's just the paperwork. And, and they don't pay off the dock workers like we thought they did. <laughs> I still, Nick, don't know how you do it. I mean, we've been uh, really promoting right before S and We've done this the past couple of years, how Fun Again goes over and gets all these hot games and brings them back with you. You know, you have this pre-order system and you'll ship them out. And if they're at BGG Con, you'll ship them there. I, I don't know how logistically, how you pull that stuff off. It is very challenging. I mean, I won't, I sort of won't, I won't lie. There's a lot that goes into it, and there's a lot of organization, and it really comes down to being incredibly, incredibly organized and knowing everything that can possibly go wrong and attempting to preempt that from happening. <laughs> I've had all sorts of things happen. I had, I think, my second year I went to Essen, I came back, and this was before we started going to BGGCon, so this was just trying to get the stuff home. I sort of got my first lesson about Europeans and geography in North America because it took them forever to ship everything out. When they did, they flew it from Germany uh, into Calgary. Now, we're located in Oregon. Last time you looked at your map, Calgary and Oregon are very far apart. <laughs> but the Germans thought, yeah. well, that it's North America, it's Canada, it's right next to the US, it's not really a problem. So it took literally forever to get to us. And then when it did, they had taken two of the pallets that we had, and it looked like, I kid you not, they had dunked them at the bottom of a pond and set them there overnight. We sort of would just take cases of games off the pallet and the games would just fall through the outer case because they were just soaked. My gosh. It also happened, unluckily, that one of those two pallets just happened to be sort of the real small company games that we had all that I had packed together and they didn't have any shrink wrap on them. So they were completely ruined because all the cardboard, all the components, they're just, mm -hmm. they were gone and they were either moldy or completely wet. So that's the sort of thing that we get to deal with all the time. <laughs> so it is a minor miracle every year when things actually reach their destination in time and intact. And I can sort of turn over to people and say, here's your games fresh from Germany. They actually made it. <laughs> but how many years have you been going? Uh, this last one was my 12th year. I've been going 12 years in a row. So All as part of fun again? Always as part of fun again. Yeah, my first time to Essen, I took over my current job that I do now about a month, maybe six weeks before going to Essen. And it was sort of like, hey, here's your job. Um, P.S. You have to go to Germany in a month. So I hope you're ready. And of course, I was not because I wasn't thinking about that I was going to need to go to Germany and get all these orders and wrangle all this sort of stuff together. I didn't even have my passport because I wasn't planning on it. So I had to use one of those rush services and get my passport and put everything together and sort of just throw all this stuff together. Now, these days, we sort of start working on Essen in like the middle of the summer we start so having to sort of like hey man it's september 15th and you got to go and get this all together was just i i've i don't think i've ever been so tired in my life as when i came home like yeah I just i was completely exhausted just mentally just trying to get all of that together is just was just crazy when you don't know anything you know i didn't know anybody over there now it's like if something goes wrong hey hey man like can you help me out i know i've known enough people throughout the years but then it was just literally flying by the seat of my pants so well okay two two quick questions then so one you've been going there for 12 years i mean do you speak german and if you if you only speak english is it uh, could marty and i go there without any issues yeah yes easily uh the great thing about being about speaking english is the rest of the world speaks english i can get by on german i don't speak it at all but i certainly know what signs say i've certainly learned weird like business words <laughs> like just be dealing with it but everyone pretty much under the age of 50 or so in germany speaks english and in a lot of times, they speak better English than I do, so it works out perfectly. 
And as Essen especially has become more and more international, English is the language that everyone speaks to conduct business. So, you know, these days you have companies literally from everywhere. I mean, there's what, 12 Polish board game companies alone? I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, Portal is the biggest probably, but then there's a slew. They have an entire Polish pavilion that's just Polish game companies. They, they all speak English because no one else speaks Polish. Now, Nick, I've been to a lot of deep places in the South, and I, I question your thing of uh, you know everybody can speak English because I've heard some people say some things that I didn't understand a word they're saying, and I'm from here. <laughs> well, that that's probably true. I haven't spent a lot of time in the South, but that's you're you're probably right. Well, come on down, come on down to the South. We'll we'll, we'll host you around, man. <laughs> I do have a, a question. So you go to Essen. You say you start planning in the summer. Uh, what are you planning? Are you planning which games you're looking to bring back? I mean, with all the catalog of of games that, that are going to be coming out, which ones do you say, okay, these are the ones that we're going to focus on and allow the people to pre-order? Because some of these games, I assume, will be here in the U.S. pretty quickly, and some of those are going to be postponed for a while, and I think those are the ones you guys kind of focus on. It is. That's what we try to do. Because we airship things back, the games have a premium on top of them because putting things on an airplane and flying them across two continents and across an ocean is very expensive. So it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to ship something over that maybe will be available at the end of November. Uh, we're really hunting for that stuff that's going to be available in a few months or or maybe it'll be a year or never make it to the States. So, you know, again, I sort of speak at this from having done it for a while now. Uh, we have people that we're in contact with pretty much every year. And a lot of times they will send us the information or all it takes from us is, hey, what's your new game or your new games this year? And give me the information, the pricing, what's it going to be like, all the information. We also spend a lot of time just looking at uh, like Eric Martin's SM list of, you know, that he gets all the publishers to contact him. And so as he puts that information out, we can take that information and get in contact with publishers and again, pick out all that to figure out what should we buy and what shouldn't we. It's a little bit like divining. So you wander around with the the rod and when it points, <laughs> like you dig for water and you hope that that is really a, that, that's really a good one. You said you used uh, Eric Martin's resources on BGG. Do you also uh, use his list and how they're ranked is determined? Okay, we really need to focus on these particular games because they got so many thumbs up. We do. I look at all that. I We try and use every indicator that we can of what is going to be popular. I learned a long time ago in this job that... I don't buy games for me because I have a specific set of tastes and I might be really excited about something, but maybe I'm the only one or maybe there's only five other people. I really need to, we need to make sure that we get stuff for everybody and what everybody's going to be excited for. So we use our own pre-order system. The more people that pre-order, then it makes us look even more closely at it. Um, Eric's list, the thumbs, how many comments there are. Obviously, there are sort of the usual suspects. Um, you know, any Uwe Rosenberg game makes us sort of sit up and pay attention. Um, we use all those indicators that we can to to make the best guesses that we can. Because at the end of the day, it really comes down to our guess of how much should we buy, how much, at what price, you know, when can we, it's, it's sort of, there's about 1500 different moving parts constantly. And it really doesn't become clear until some of those parts start to settle down. And really, honestly, only about 500 of them ever settle down. So you start out with 1500 moving parts and you're going to end with a thousand and then you just use your experience and you use the the feedback that you get to to make those decisions. All right. So so you're not there in the pits of Germany yelling at one another to trade this, trade that. You're you're sitting here, you've got some magic behind it. That's pretty cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's it's again, I learned very quickly that it's so it's so much work and it's so chaotic to sort of go over there and fly by the seat of your pants. You just can't get everything done. You really have to go in as absolutely organized as possible, both with what you're going to buy and how you're going to get everything home and get it in a timely manner. Okay, that rules us out, Marty. Maybe you guys could come along and just, uh, you could be like my hype man or you could just be, 
you know, you could just carry my bags or something. Maybe that'd work. I'm not beneath carrying bags. <laughs> we can we can be an entourage. <laughs> there is no problem. This there. works. This works for me. This I lo- I like this idea. All right. So what was it for? What year are we in? 2016. Yes, 2016. What was the big pre-order that you had going over to S? Or, or several pre-orders. And my biggest thing, Nick, is I want to know what did you see over there that no one knew about? And you were like, oh, this is going to be hot. I'm bringing this back. And don't tell me it's that social deduction game about putting poop in a toilet bowl. Man, I love that game. No, I just, I love the Japanese sense. There are certain companies that just have a particular sense of games and they just, they just make me laugh. They're just amazing. Um, you know, I would say this year it was a lot of, um, there was a lot of sort of the the usual suspects. You know, Richard Brees' new game, Keys to the City London, we had a lot of pre-orders for. Uh, you know, we sort of have a, a disproportional amount of pre-orders for something like the little, the, uh, the little Camelequin expansion, mostly because it's an expansion to a a game that was really popular and it's fairly inexpensive. Um, you know, a feast for Odin. Well, that wasn't something that we got at Essen because it came out simultaneously here. Uh, we certainly had a huge amount of pre-orders for that in particular. We could have a huge amount of pre-orders for a lot of the Japan brand stuff, but it's just not possible because of the way that they operate they make such small tiny print runs you know they may only make 50 copies of something when the demand you know they might be able to sell 500 but they just are only ever going to make 50 and that's it so there's you know there's some really neat stuff that out of there that we were getting asked about uh you know roundhouse um coming out of uh, taiwan looks like it might be interesting i'm intrigued with the concept of the perfumer i'm intrigued with this concept of smelling during the game of taking the smells to figure out your next move i haven't had a chance to play it so i don't know necessarily how it translates whether it you know works out really well or is replayable a lot but i just think it's interesting that that someone sat down and said let's make a smell game (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't quite fit with the well it sort of does kind of fit with the the toilet game but probably a better fit yeah i don't want to smell that game yeah no i it's uh it's uh, me either so it's always interesting very year there's always a game every year um and i'm trying to think of what it would be this year there's always something that we we don't hear anything about while we're over there and then we come back and everybody wants to know well did you buy like a thousand because this is the new hot thing you're like well we we just bought six. <laughs> Sorry, you know, too bad. But that that seems to happen every year. So when you go over there, are you just fulfilling the pre-orders for games, or are you also buying additional stock that you can put into your warehouse and sell once you get back here? And second part of that question, if that's the case, are there some games that are so few ordered that you just go, well, we're just going to fill fulfill the pre-orders and that's it? Uh, we definitely purchase more than we have pre-orders for, or we attempt to, um, if the stocks allow. Uh, no matter what, we've learned that you know some people will pre-order, some people never will. That might be the th- thing they want more than anything else in the entire universe, but they're going to forget to put an order through for it. So we always purchase more. Um, how many more we purchase than pre-orders is completely dependent on, again, how popular we think it will be. So, for instance, a game like a Richard Brees game or Cottage Garden, you know, that just came out. We knew that was going to be popular, so we bought a lot of extra. Uh, there's some other games that maybe has one or two pre-orders, and so maybe we just buy, you know, three or four extra. Uh, we want to have those games. We're going over there to do all the work and, and jump through the hoops. We might as well get them and bring them back. But it's not something that, you know, we want to sit on 500 copies of in the warehouse. For the games that uh, that you bring over, knowing that they're not made, but they may not be available for a while. Do you set a certain price for them? And then once they become in regular distribution in the U.S., the price drops? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, part of the service, part of what we're doing is providing the service of bringing the games over early. And again, to get them over early, they have to be flown back. That is, as everybody knows, expensive. I mean, try just go to Google and try and buy a ticket to Germany. (laughs) It's not, you know, it's not cheap. So 
that price of getting everything back is sort of ref- uh, is reflected in the price. And so once we've sold through those and we get a restock, whether it's a, you know, it might be still be an import, but it might come over on the ocean. We might do a second order, a slower way. You know, ocean freight is much, much cheaper than putting on an airplane. Or maybe it's just the regular uh, US, you know, run of the games. The price comes down or is adjusted to reflect that. I mean, we've even had ones where we, we reflected you know in between uh particular runs because when again this is sort of a little inside baseball but you deal with you deal with uh international logistics and your price on one flight to bring stuff over might be x dollars and you sell through that and in two weeks you've got another flight coming over and for whatever reason it's 20 percent less because because it is because they have capacity or whatever so we can you know bring the price down on those so the price changes according to effectively what our final landed cost of an item is Um, and the slower and the longer it takes the cheaper it becomes so you aren't uh, necessarily gouging people you probably just have a standard markup and it's just the markup from whatever your cost is to get it here that's right i'm a data guy right like i don't again i don't do things by the seat of my pants generally so we have a little formula you know we kind of know from year to year what what shipping's going to cost you know we do it a lot we do it throughout the year so we kind of fill all this out we know what the exchange rate is going to be we know all these other things and then we kind of just plug it in and plug in <laughs> we literally plug in what we purchased it for run it through the little algorithm and then pop out the other end comes the price you know sometimes i've looked at that price before and i went oh man really is that that's what the price has got to be on this thing and i've said yeah it is just put it up and we put it up and if we find out then do people really want that game at that particular price and if they do the pre-orders come in and they always come in <laughs> they i have we've never really had a case of where we put something up for pre-order and people just say like oh man that's just that's just that's just too much i mean certainly some people do that but there are people willing to pay that premium you know they really just want this thing right now it really is the thing the number one thing that they're looking forward to out of essen and they're they know what it goes into it and they're willing to they're willing to pay for it uh, you're not talking to one of those guys i can tell you that right now <laughs> It's not going to be me, man. All right. So you've walked on all the convention floors. How does Essen compare to some of the U.S.? I mean, we hear about it. You know, it's completely different. But for you, I mean, how is it? How is it different? Essen, I think, is, first of all, it's the most international. And that's really happened in the last five or six years at Essen. When I first started going, it was the big German companies. A couple of the older American companies that have been around forever, Mayfair, Rio Grande, you know, maybe a guy from Great Britain and then somebody from the Netherlands. But now it's really, really, really international um, with all the countries in Europe, U.S., Canada, Asia, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, there was a company from Colombia there this year. I mean, I've never seen a, a Colombian board game company before. So um, it's very international. The other thing is it's much more family-oriented. This Essen really is, particularly on the weekend, it is a place that if you live in sort of northwest Germany, you bring the entire family down for, and you go for the day, or maybe Saturday and Sunday, and you just go around with the family. And you might have brought grandma and grandpa along as well. And you go to the big Ravensburger booth, or maybe you've got real little ones and you go to Haba and you just hang out and see the new games and play them and have a really good time. There is certainly a component of the hardcore hobby folks. They're, they're there too. They're there in droves. But it's for me, it's sort of the German family thing that's completely different that I don't necessarily see when you go to Gen Con um, or go to any of the smaller, you know, conventions in the U.S. They're they're there, they're there, but not in the not in the percentage like it is at Essen. And how's the food? Delicious. I mean, you just can have a sausage for lunch, and it's just right there on the floor. It's it's the best. Better than BGG Con. Better than BGG Con. It's <laughs> I uh, if I was gonna if my choice was BGG Con food or uh, or Essen food, I I pick Essen. Well, okay, okay, okay. Hold on there. So let's give BGG Con a little cred there. I mean, you how long have you been going to BGG Con? I think this upcoming year, 
I've lost count, six or seven, I think. And you have a booth there. We do. Yep. We have the booth. We take the essence stuff there to to sell. So, but it, but the food's gotten better, hasn't it? It has. It definitely has. It's gotten better, and it's they they do a good job. But it's pretty difficult. It's pretty difficult to beat a currywurst or a Donner kebab for for lunch. So that kind of beats chicken nuggets, no matter how good your chicken nuggets are. It will be better in 2019 when they go to downtown Dallas. No, that's it. Will be. It will be. A, it will be a lot better. There'll be a lot of stuff around town. So I'm excited for that. All right. More importantly, you said how many poor uh, Polish companies are are there at Essen? I mean, I I honestly think there's between ten and twelve Polish companies, which is is I think it's fascinating to me because Poland is. I mean, it's not a giant country. It's they've got a decent amount of population, but to have that many, I mean, that would be like America having I don't know. 300 (laughs) board game companies like maybe that's true it's just it's just there is a very concentrated representation of polish board gaming publishers and polish board gaming culture at essen and it's it's fascinating to me and what was the game from columbia that was um uh the name he so it's um he's actually published it last year and it is oh, what is the name of it? I'm gonna. This is gonna. It's gonna come into my brain here. I'm gonna talk about it and then I'll figure it out. It got picked up for Quinted. You know the Dutch publisher, um, Xanadu. That's it. X A N A D U. Xanadu. It's a little card game. Xanadu. Exactly. Uh, there is no, there is no Olivia Newton John on the cover of the game. Oh, I'm out. Sorry, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Um, but he published it in Colombia as a first edition. And he is, they're just a a little group of Colombian gamers that said, we want to start a Colombian publishing company and we want to start publishing games in Colombia and start, you know, South American gaming. And they made the trek this year to Essen and they've got a, of course, they've got a couple games that they're going to kickstart. And this was just sort of their big first grand experiment was making the long haul to, to Germany and setting up a booth. All right. So Nick. You're going to be GGCon. You'll have a booth there, and you're going to be bringing hopefully some of those games with you. Yes. So if you're wanting some hot Essen games, head over to the Fun Again booth ASAP because I, you probably will sell out of some of those. I assume. we do every year. We sell out of stuff. Um, we leave with a lot less than we bring, which is good. That's the point. And there are years where you know we might have twelve or eighteen copies. And that doesn't even make it through the first hour <laughs> that the booth is open. Um, it's just, again, it's how how hyped has something gotten in the last uh, three weeks or four weeks since Essen? Uh, how many were we able to procure? Uh, those folks that did pre-order and pre-ordered for BGG Con delivery, they get first dips. And so their orders are kind of safe. And so then what we have left over, we put out for open sale and it can be at times a mad dash, although everyone's pretty respectful of one another. There's a, I've had instances before where someone will be in line with the last copy of a game and maybe they'll pay like 80 bucks for it. And the person behind them will say, I will give you 120 for that right now. Like they literally are just willing to pay $40 more than the last guy in line because they've got to have it and they know that that's it. They're not going to be able to find it again. Or if they do, they're going to have to jump through the hoops and get it flown in from Germany. No. Mm-mm. Not <laughs> no, no, wait a minute. No, I'd be the guy in front that would turn around and go, yeah, I'll sell this for 120 bucks. Yeah, it's two more games. <laughs> it's it's perfect. Exactly. But, let's go on eBay real quick. So um, I've already lost my train of thought there, but so BGG Con, you're, you're there. Oh, now I remember what it was. Puzzles and Funko? What? Puzzles and Funko. So we so we have we have stores. We have retail stores. Okay. And we sell a lot of puzzles in our stores. We're going to jump through the hoops to put the puzzles up in the stores. It's the same inventory system. So we do it on the website as well. And we actually sell a lot of puzzles through the website. We actually sell a lot of Funko through the website as well. Funko is very very popular. Very popular. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And if you find a Farah Overwatch character, I want it. I'll keep an eye out for it. We'll see. I get oh, I, nice. I get Funko uh, I get Funko sales submissions almost every day. Those guys are prolific. They 
man, they have a lot of licenses. They make a lot of Funko figures. Yeah, I mean, they got some losers in our Carolina Panthers there. I mean, I showed my wife the Luke Keekly, and she's like, that's not Luke Keekly. And I go, of course not. But it's close. It's close. It's got his name. He's got a Panther jersey. So, yeah. I'm just, I am kind of curious though. So puzzle sales to board game sales, less than, equal to? Board games are much higher. Um, We, you know, we definitely still specialize in the board games. But again, it's something that sells very well in our stores and it sort of just supplements the, you know, we, we carry the the major line uh, again, you know, this is boring inside baseball talk. We carry Ravensburger puzzles. We order Ravensburger games. They're in the same catalog. <laughs> it's not a lot of extra work for us to say, oh, yeah, we'll take some of these because people like these pictures. Um, and then we just put them up in the store and have them on the website and people go crazy. And we sell a lot of them at Christmas time. A lot. Puzzles, much like games, are very good gift items. There are lots of people that purchase games and puzzles between Thanksgiving and the end of the year. And that's the only time of the year that they that they buy them. Which goes right into this question. Right after BGG Con, we're getting ready to hit the holiday season. There's going to be Black Friday. Will you be doing any big sales in time for the Christmas season? Probably so. I would say that I'm not at liberty to say, except I'm the boss, so I am at liberty to say. <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever you want, by gosh. I think you got the CEO. That's true. Your but name. Then it's going to be on tape and people can hear me and they're going to say, remember when you said? And it is true, everybody. We still use tape here at RDTM. <laughs> we are old school. Right. <laughs> I see the, the big reel-to-reel machines in the back <laughs> just whirring away. You just cut it and splice everything together. Yep. Uh, no, we will definitely have some uh, Black Friday stuff and Christmas, uh, Christmas month, Christmas time uh, sales and and things happening. So, so we need to keep an eye out at uh, funagain.com for all these sales. Is there a newsletter that people can sign up for so they can get these updates? I was just going to say you can keep an eye out, and the best way to do that, of course, is to go to the website and sign up to get the newsletter. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you have not signed up for the newsletter and you go to the website to sign up for it, it will prompt you. And if you do, you will get a $5 coupon off on your next order. Bam! It's effectively the same as me mailing $5 to everybody. Hey, you can't, you can't beat that. No. Which is what they used to do on the invoice thing, too. You used to put that little coupon on the invoice, too. I've noticed I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, we moved things around. So you, you get the five. Keep me guessing. You get That's yeah. right. We got we to gotta switch things up. We got the different rewards program and the discounts and this and that and the the sign up when you get to join the email list and we're always trying new things so and to close it out when people sign up for the newsletter and they actually join the website and store ordering games you actually have a membership plan can you explain a little bit about how that works yes so the membership plan grants you there's different levels to it and the first level is completely free and you sign up and it grants you a bunch of membership benefits and then there's a couple levels that you pay a little annual cost to it. It's a, similar to this other uh, really big company that everybody knows about that uh, maybe uh, is named after a giant geographical feature. It kind of works in the same way. So you pay for this. Uh, you get a better return policy window. You earn points at a better rate. You get a little bit off your shipping charge if you if you don't order for free shipping. Um, but the big thing with the membership is it gets you better discounts on pre-ordering things because that's what we want to know is we want to know what games you want. So if you are a member, you get better discounts on pre-order items than you would if you just bought games through our rewards program, which we also have, which is which is different. Become a member and pre-order games for the best prices possible. And that is 100% true because, Tony, you and I struggle with this. Every time there's a new game getting ready to come out, we're like, okay, we got to pre-order because we know we're going to get the best price. And it's one of those things that you go and see a price, and then when you log in, uh, the price drops. Because if you're a member, you you see you get these, these cheaper prices. So pre-ordering is definitely the way to go, and Tony and I uh, do it all the time. 
Yeah, but don't get me started on Nick. He's our guest here. I don't want to go slam him on the fact that, hey, you can't even put up a good pre-order date. I mean, my gosh, man. What? Wait, you can't do what? His dates are all over the park. I mean, oh, when's this game coming out? Oh, sometime in September. Well, by well, gosh, man. Well, it's not man. his fault. Oh, my gosh. I thought he could plan anything. He can get games over from Germany and bring them over here. Why can't he not figure out what month it's in and maybe what year? Huh, Nick? Huh? Huh? Oh, my God. Wow. I'm stepping away. I'm sorry, Nick. I'm <laughs> sorry you brought you into this hostile environment. I wish I could do that. I would be a very, very rich man if I could predict the release dates of every single product that ever came out. So here's the honest truth, because we get asked this question a lot. It is probably our number one most asked like customer service question, besides I didn't get my tracking information, which usually means it's in their spam folder but when is this game going to come out and this is the honest to god's truth we don't know until about two or three days before we get it and the way we know we're going to get it is hey here's your invoice (laughs) this game is on your invoice and it takes four days to go from the warehouse to your warehouse as a general rule that's that's how much pre-information we have there's there's a lot of things that we as retailers do not know that we wished we knew. We very much wish we knew, but just doesn't happen. Uh, hopefully with, uh, I know Fantasy Flight, some of the premiers of the bigger companies are a little bit easier because they actually do list street dates and probably try to keep to those. So maybe as Asthma Day gobbles up everybody, maybe this will get better down the road. It has. They have gotten better about that. They sort of give us a window and then a couple weeks of when the street date actually is, they tell us the street date for A, B, C, D, E is X date. But even then, we don't really know except about two weeks in advance. And the reason we don't know is because, honestly, they don't know. Because international shipping and logistics and what has to happen and trucks turning over and trains getting derailed and, you know, all sorts of stuff always happens. So it's a it's a challenge It's a challenge in an industry where the customers really, 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 really want to know for good reasons, for good reasons. They want to know when stuff is going to be available. And we want to tell them it's it's certainly nothing that anybody in the chain wants to keep from the customers. The truth is we just don't know. (laughs) There's just, there's no information to pass on. And I know it seems frustrating from the customer end, but there, that's it. There is something that you do know. If people want to find out more about Fun Again Games or where to contact you or how to join the newsletter and everything, can you tell us where they can do that? I can. It's very, very simple. You just go to funagain.com, just like it sounds, F-U-N-A-G-A-I-N.com. And all the sign-up information is there. And I believe you're also on Twitter, at Fun Again Games. We're on Twitter, at Fun Again Games. We're also on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Games. Well, Nick, we want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule of packing our Arkham Horror game <laughs> so we can get here in time. That's right. <laughs> that's that's all I do. I we, It's just a one-man show. I do everything. Oh, we know that's not true, because you've already told me that there's a lot of people behind the scenes and but no seriously thank you so much for getting all the games to us and um i mean when we look on your sites i'm always there every day see what you're adding in pre-orders and what just got in just so i can sit there and 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 drool over it and it's it's a sad addiction i have but it's okay i'll i'll recover that's what we like we we like selling fun in a box. We like selling games. Well, Nick, have safe travels as you get over to BGGCon. Be sure to get a moon pie from Marty. I hate I'm not going to be there. And maybe you can, y'all can go get some barbecues. But thanks again for coming on, Nick. Same, thanks, guys. Have a good one. Portal had a banner year in 2016. And before Essing sticks in your mind and you forget about everything, let's review everything that's happened this year. We've had crazy cards, Cry Havoc, expansions to Imperial Settlers. You also got My Happy Farm, Narashima Convoy, 51st State, Master Set. All of those games came out this year, as well as an expansion to Rattle Battle, Grab the Loot, Tides of Time. Um, had its expansion, Tides of Madness. All these games came out in 2016. And of course, the biggest of all, Robinson Crusoe. Minus the sunny beach. Tony, I wanted to reference those two games that uh, we just talked about. So we played those games with some of the same people in the same uh, group. 
I tell you, didn't I just seem that Great Western Trail just seemed to click more so than Feast for Odin? It, it did for me. That was for sure. And it was definitely for the gentleman who really did not like a Feast for Odin. He, um, he liked that one a lot better. He seemed to come together for him quicker. For me, Great Western Trail is the winner. And once again, I'm not saying a Feast for Odin is a bad game. By no means. It is probably a very, very good game that people will enjoy. But it is not a game for me. I did not like the Tetris-y type feel of that game. I just... I was just like, if you want me to play Tetris, give me Patchwork. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Many, many people like Feast for Odin. It just didn't click for us. But that's why we always say on this show, try before you buy. Because what may work for somebody else just may not work for you. And this one just didn't. Again, I see what's going on. It's just that it just it just didn't click with me. But, it, but Tony, after like two rounds of Great Western Trail, we're like, aha, I get it. I like it. I understand. Everything makes sense. I see why everything there and why it's there. Yeah. And I mean, even after the game on the analysis, after the game that I did on Great West Trail, I was like, why did I suck so bad at playing this game? And I went back and I said, well, first I didn't put my buildings in key spots. That was, that was one of those things. And one thing we didn't mention in our little five minute, there's objectives. I didn't really take advantage of trying to do the objectives. Yeah. I enjoyed that game a lot better than i did a feast for odin and hopefully i mean others will enjoy it as much as we did uh yeah so that game is is just now available it's another one of those in the uh great designer series from stronghold games he's starting to put those out now so uh nice job it's one of those that we were excited about uh i was hyped about it and when i got to play it it kind of lived up to the hype for me yeah it, it did so for me as well i can't wait to play it again i will say a feast for odin Nothing. I mean, once again, Tetris thing is what ruined it for me, but I really, really like Fields of Arl. That's just strange, isn't it? Because, I mean, people will say it's the same type of stuff going on there. I'm like, well, I don't know if Fields of Arl just kind of made sense to me for some reason. It's like, okay, here's the, uh, you know, the spring and summer and here's the fall and winter and these actions are available here. I can't explain. I will say this, though. Fields of Arl set up and takedown is a bear, Uh, but the setup for Feast for Odin is pretty straightforward because there's nothing on the board. They really do give you these two nice inserts uh, for holding all the uh, the pieces and they're all organized correctly. So you just pull out those two nice inserts, open up, and you're kind of ready to play. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree with you on that. It's real simple to do. I'm glad they did that from that standpoint. Great Western, all you need to do is um, pretty much separate everything in on little bags and set up. It's going to be no problem for you there. Well, it, it's more of a hassle than what Feast for Odin was. Yeah, it was. But then again, that was just because we were punching it out. But now you got it. You just give everybody one of their bags. Um, the engineers and that hiring the workers mechanism, yeah, you're going to have to separate those out. But that's okay. No big deal. I mean, component-wise, both games are equal to one another. But uh, all in all, like I said, Great Western Trail will hit the table before a Feast for Odin does for me. I agree. There you go, guys. Two of the newest worker placement, non-worker placement games. Good gosh, fine. <laughs> Two of the newest... Well, then you covered everything. It's the worker placement, non-worker placement games. Okay. So Francis Drake has that same mechanism that Great Western Trail has, right? Where you're moving along the boardwalk. Yeah. And I like that. That's, I think, another thing that made me jump back to Great Western Trail. Yeah, it is kind of cool that the fact that the thematically you're moving across the trail, right? You're moving from city to city and you're gathering cattle as you go. I mean... It just just made sense. Something else that we got to do at Mace that I just can't remember. Oh, that's right. We got to play Strike. Did we mention that already? Oh, my gosh. Yes, at the beginning of the show. Oh, okay. I, you know, we, we were sleep deprived. I couldn't remember when we after we've recorded this. <laughs> so, you know, if we had mentioned it, what can I say? So, yeah. Okay. So, on to more important pressing matters. You're leaving for BGG Con when this thing drops. Uh, yes, I will. When this uh, comes out, I will be on my way to BGG. And what's so great about that is I pretty much have... Have nothing planned. I just don't know how you do that. That would drive me freaking insane. Well, you've been to BGG. What's there to plan? You just go and play games. <sighs> yeah, but I want to do do this or do that or what about do what or do what? Oh, play games. Yeah, I'm going to play games. What? What? Yeah, look, it's not like Gen Con. There's not like media things going on. There's not like a tons of publishers or anything. So it's not like you're 
I don't know. It's just there's not much. Do- I mean, okay, there is this one thing. Um, Eric Dewey from Onboard Games has set up a podcaster roundtable Q and A session on Friday afternoon. Uh, he didn't invite me to do that, so I will be doing that on Friday afternoon. I believe it's around five o'clock. But if you go out to the BGG site and you can look at the events that are going to be happening during the con, uh, you'll see an event there on Friday from like five to six. All right, so. You got an invite to that. I guess other people were busy. Uh, yeah, I was way down on that list. Yeah, I know. I, that's okay. No respect. We can deal with that. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's no big deal. And then when you get back from BGG, oh, goodness gracious, BGG Con, you were going to have a lot of stories to tell us about. And oh, we did forget one thing. Got to play some more Fuji Flush. I'm ordering that. You got your copy. I'm going to order mine. Is that not good? That is good. That is my Thanksgiving game. Uh, it plays up to eight people, and we're going to have a lot of family here. And like I told you, you can teach it in like two minutes, right? I mean, it's really straightforward. Yeah, but I'll be honest with you. that Until you play it, you got to play a couple times to understand that you know high thing. For some odd reason, it doesn't click with people at first. And I don't know why. I just kept there thinking, how can we make this click for people that, you know, when – if your card is lower, you get flushed unless someone plays something equal. But if your card is lower, if you're yeah, if somebody plays a higher card than you, you get flushed. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, there's something about sometimes they weren't getting flushed, and people were like, "Wait, I don't understand. Why didn't I get it?" And I was like, "Okay, because you were equal to this." Or and it's just that click. You're still sleep deprived, and, aren't you? No, just a little bit. So anyway click i mean it just didn't click right there i think the hard thing to get to is when you play the same number as somebody else those start accumulating over time yeah and we had a good number of series going there that was pretty cool i think i forget what we got it like 36 or something total it was funny i was just like yeah we did the thing is though with eight players it's really hard to get around uh you know if you have like uh, three threes that get to nine. It's really hard for even that to make it all the way around. It seems like to me the five to six number of players is kind of the sweet spot for that game. I can't wait. I'm going to put that in on my order, our fun again order code that we got coming for our expansion to Arkham Horror that's going to arrive while you're gone. I hope Vanessa knows. Just go ahead and put it on the back porch and I'll go grab mine. Not the expansion. You mean the original? The base yeah, the set. original's going to arrive. I'm sorry. I'm putting it on our expansion order. Yeah, I've already built a deck. I'm going to be playing at BGG Con, yeah, you, which will be fun. Yeah, you, well, yeah, go ahead and have fun on that. Well, dude, just be safe there. Enjoy your lots of meats that you're going to go eat. Oh, yeah. Meat sweats. Can't wait. I'm sitting here thinking, would we ever come up with the right name on that? The Heart Eights? Heart Eights. Is that it? Heart Eight. Yeah. Okay. And hopefully you have your Uber app loaded and you won't be circling the airport again this time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if I come in on the same terminal as we did last year, I'm just walking across the street through the parking lot. Forget the Uber. I know. If you land in, well, U.S. Uh, American Airlines always comes in to see a thing, so you will be able to walk across. So anyway, be safe. Either way, guys, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed the part from Nick from Fun Again Games. He's got a lot more stories, and so we can't wait to have him back on to tell us about what it takes to get games to you. And please, by all way, that was awesome. Please always leave us comments on how wrong we are for Feast for Odin but how right we were for Great Western Trail. <laughs> You know, oh yeah, we'll probably get some uh, feedback on the feast road thing. But hey, whatever, whatever. So anyway, guys, keep rolling dice and taking names. Thanks for listening. You can check out our website at RollDiceTakeNames.com. Follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names. Like us on Facebook. Join our BGG Guild at 1589 or leave us a positive review on iTunes. Acquire these high stock cows so that when you eventually get to the end of your trail, which you rinse and repeat, you will get more money, which will help you place your this down <laughs> that sucked <laughs> so we've got another great game great western trail by stronghold games alexander fisser he's known for uh, my broom service oh my goodness mombasa fields of no what owl skies i was gonna say i was getting ready to say fields all right there's your outros big boy <laughs> three, <laughs> three two one